from the very beginning of our lives, we've been trying to gain our independence, haven't we? Because there's this sense, and it's partially true that if you gain your independence, then you can survive and even thrive in life, and that's, that's a really good thing. I mean, I'm super glad that you guys can feed yourselves, right? Some, somebody like, no, Ben, the robots are going to do that soon. That, well, we'll get there. I'm glad that you can get yourself dressed. I'm glad that you reached a point in life where you can get yourself from point A to point B, and so we rally around and celebrate this Correlation that independence equals thriving, and it's, it's true in some categories, but it's not completely true. It's actually to that end that God has been saying from the very beginning, not just the very beginning of your life, but from like literally the very beginning, it is not good for humans to be all by themselves. It is not good for humans to be all by themselves. We have a value here at Epic because we want to sink our reality into what God's reality is and the way he's designed the universe. Our value states this, together is better. And when I say together is better, you might be thinking, Ben, maybe for everybody else, but I'm pretty good independent. No, you're not. Together is better, guys, for everyone. Together is better for everyone. Together is better for the extrovert and the introvert. Come on, introverts, where are you at? I know you never raise your hand in the setting. <laughs> Together is better for the rich and the poor. Together is better for the executive, the manager, the associate, and the intern. Together is better for women, you girls know that, and even for us. Come on, man. Like you mean it, man. We're going to do that again. We're going <laughs> to rewind a little bit. We're going to say men like we mean it, like we know we need each other, Okay. We're, about to, we're rejecting independence, guys, okay? Ladies, do us men need each other? I thought you were going to say, no, you have us, but you know, we, you, don't want, you, don't, we, you don't want all of our time. Um, so it's good for women, and together is better. It's also really good for us. Thank you. Thank you. Rise up. Let's go. Listen, together is better for everyone. It's better for the mature Christian. It's better for the brand new Christian. It's better for those of you who aren't even sure you want anything to do with this thing called Christianity. Together is better, and it's literally been wired into your DNA that you cannot do what God's calling you to do without other people. Anybody else wish at times you didn't need other people like me? Like, can we just be honest? Like, I wish I had all the gifts. I wish I had all of the wisdom. I wish that when I'm standing in a line, no other person existed so that I could be first. Like, I just wish, I, I, and then seriously, I, I wish I didn't know what it was like to hurt people or be hurt by people. I wish I didn't know that. But the biggest part of me knows and so grateful that God has wired me and he's wired you for relationship and he's wired me and he's wired you for community. And there are just some things that you can do by yourself, but they're actually better with other people. On New Year's Day, this first year I've done it at least, we, our family went to Coit Tower with another family and then we found some people we were in community here with at Epic and we watched the sun rise together. I mean, it would have been amazing by myself, but it was magical because there are other people that I'm in community with. And then I think about years ago when our family was asking God to bring our daughter home from India. There were five of us, and we believed that God heard our prayer, but there was something magical when 20 of you showed up in our backyard and asked God on our behalf and on her behalf. That's what is magical. Guys, we've been called to do this together. I love accomplishment. Anybody else love achieving? Anybody else you got your Enneagram 3 on? Like, you're just working it, you're doing, like, how, how am I doing so far? I, I love accomplishment, but there is nothing like accomplishing something with a team. There is nothing like, I mean, it's pretty lame when you accomplish something by yourself, you go to high five and realize no one's there, right? But I love it when our team realizes something. We had a few moments this week. 
when something happened, something was received well, something we had been going for for a while as a team, and just to be able to literally give each other high fives and say, I'm so thankful for the position that God's put us in, because you are meant to do life together. We are meant to do life together. This isn't just called church because we think you should come and attend. We're, we think you've been called to do life with us if this is your church. We were never meant for isolation. In fact, I think it's one of the reasons that God spends so much time in the scriptures telling us to do things we can never do by ourselves. So if you today, you're like, Ben, I've got a spiritual journey, I've got this faith thing with God, we're good. Well, if it's just you and God, I think you can probably only do about 37% of the things God tells you to do in here. Who wants to live a 37% life? And, and you're like, but Ben, community is hard. I know, everything that's worth it is hard, right? Ladies who've had children, was it worth it? Don't, if your kids are here, don't say no. Everything that's worth it is hard, especially in the beginning, but it's valuable. And so what I wanna to do today is give a talk I'm calling What You Can't Do By Yourself. What you can't do by yourself. This strategically coincides with today being the first day where you can sign up for an epic group. And you can do that anytime today. You can do it on our app. You can do it on our website. You can do it on your communication card that Atul just referenced. And you can do it anytime during my message. It's the only thing you can look at, okay? Unless you're getting a last minute bet in for the football games, which you probably shouldn't do at church either. But... Guys, we were meant to do life together. Together is better for everyone. And what I want to do is use a text from 1 Peter chapter 4 to tell you why together is better for you. And I'm going to give you some things that you will not be able to do by yourself. So if you have the Epic app, you have a YouVersion app, you've got a, an actual Bible with you, or you just want to watch the screens, 1 Peter chapter 4, verses 7 through 11. I want to ask you to stand with me as I read this text. 1 Peter, I encourage you, it's a great book. It's not long, five chapters he writes about the inheritance that we have in Christ. He writes about our identity in Christ. He writes about suffering in his letter. The Christians he's writing to, they've been exiled. They've been scattered. And you would think when they're going through the suffering and persecution, he might just say, just hunker down. Just, just stay over there by yourself and just make sure you're protected. But instead, he urges them to communal life. One of the things, I didn't give this to 9 o'clock. It's only coming from the Holy Spirit right now. So I'm going to give it to you and you tell it to the 9 o'clock crowd, whoever they may be, okay? One of the things that happens is when you and I get into challenging circumstances, we tend to isolate ourselves at that moment. Isn't that crazy? Or, 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 or some of us are so busy because of what we have to do in our life and we miss out on the community that God's called us to. When you need community the most, you opt out of it the most. Let's stop that. So Peter says this, verse 7 through 11. The end of all things is near. Therefore, be alert and of sober mind so that you may pray. Above all, love each other deeply because love covers over a multitude of sins. Offer hospitality to one another without grumbling. Anybody know what it's like to offer hospitality while grumbling? Right? Right? You're, you, you've got your, your guest face on, but then with your spouse or your friend or your roommate in the kitchen, you're like, I cannot believe we invited them over. I, 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 what, what were we thinking? So we all know what it's like to do it while complaining, but he says do it without complaining or grumbling. 10, each of you should use whatever gift you have received to serve others as faithful stewards of God's grace in its various forms. If anyone speaks, they should do so as one who speaks the very words of God. If anyone serves, they should do so with the strength God provides so that in all things God may be praised through Jesus Christ. To him be glory and the power forever and ever. Amen. Maybe see it. There are things God has for our lives that we cannot do by ourselves. 
There are things God has for all, all of our lives that we absolutely will not be able to do by ourselves. When Peter gets into this part of his letter to these Christians in the first century, he says, make sure you do a couple things. He says, the end of all things is near. He says, make sure that you're alert and of a sober mind so that you can pray. This was written in the first century, but I believe these words are great for our 21st century lives, don't you? We live in this 24-7 culture. We live in the social media-dominated world. Guys, there's never been more abundance as we roll into 2019, and there's never been more anxiety. Riddle me that. And, he, and I think he would say these exact, exact same words, like, don't be distracted by the stuff that doesn't matter. You're missing out on what's significant because you're giving significant time to what isn't significant at all. And he's like, focus and pray. You need God to touch your life, your family, your community, your city, and our world. So why don't you spend some time praying? How many of us are missing what God wants most for us because we're so distracted by everything else that he could care less about? Who cares if you got likes? But bend my self-esteem. Exactly. Exactly. So he's like, be of a sober mind. That's a whole different message, but if that's you from Saturday night, just take it in. Be of a sober, everybody sober-minded this morning? Be alert so you don't miss what matters most. And then Peter gets into the three things that we need to do that we cannot do by ourselves. Three things that we need to do that we cannot do by ourselves. The first thing he said is this, above all, love deeply. Above all, love deeply. You cannot love deeply without being deeply connected to others. You cannot love deeply without being deeply connected to others. You just can't do it. And he says, above all, he's going to give us three things, but he wants us to understand the main thing, the thing that matters more than anything else is love, and not love according to your definition that kind of comes and goes, and it's conditional, love according to the definition that we've been given by Jesus. Love deeply. But you can't love deeply if you aren't in relationship deeply or at least on your way to becoming deeply connected into friendship and relationship and into a community, community like the one that you sit in today. So many of us have bought into the lie that the perfect community will be the kind of community where apology isn't needed that often and forgiveness isn't that required. That's a lie. The best relationships and the best kind of Christian communities like the one we're in today, and the, those of you who are part of Epic and call it home, the best ones, they have actually a lot of apologies, a lot of people taking ownership, a lot of I'm sorry, and a lot of will you forgive me, and the answer is yes, in the perfect community. Let me illustrate this point by my own life. You may think I'm crazy, but I want to show you how we typically correlate things. We typically correlate things that if I have to apologize a lot, I can't be that close to that person. Do you know who I've apologized to more in my life than any other person on planet Earth? My wife, Shauna. Do you know second most, my four children, and third most, my coworkers, and I work at a church. You're like, Ben, you have problems. I, I do, but let me, let me illustrate this point. I've never said I'm sorry more to anyone than I have to this woman, and yet we have a relational intimacy that would rival anyone else's on Earth. I believe that. My kids would not tell you they have a perfect dad, but they would tell you how deeply we are connected in the kind of loving union that we have together. Our staff team, they would not tell you that we're more like coworkers. They would tell you we're more like a family, and not because it's the absence of apologies and needing to be forgiven, but because those things are present. You see, some of you, you think you're in good shape because you have a family, you have relationships, you have friendships, even in your part of the Epic Church community or on your teams at the office every single day. You're like, we never have to apologize to each other. We must be doing awesome. 
What I coach teams on often, including our own team, is this. That doesn't mean anything is awesome. That means something is wrong. It either means that you're pretending as a team or in your relationship or as a family, or you aren't close enough. You aren't close enough. And here's a question that goes with, with that thought. Are you walking away from relationships that require much forgiveness? I really want you to take inventory today. Are you walking away from relationships that require much forgiveness? The reason some of you move from relationship to relationship, from friendship to friendship, is because when someone hurts you, rather than reconcile, you bounce. The reason some of you have been a part of several churches during your time in San Francisco, because as soon as things got a little heated, rather than seek peace, you left. Some of you have even done that with whole cities. You're in San Francisco for a short amount of time, and it just got shorter because someone, you know, hurt you in some kind of way, so now you're ready to leave. And that's easy, but it's not best. That's easy, but it's not best. What's best is that we stay in and we work things out. Aren't you glad God doesn't walk away from his relationships that require much forgiveness? Or he would have walked out on you a long time ago, and he would have walked out on me even sooner. One day in Luke chapter seven, the Pharisees gave this dinner and they invited Jesus and Surprising to Jesus and everyone else, this woman who has a sinful reputation, she shows up at the end of Luke chapter seven, and she begins to do some things that are honestly culturally unacceptable. She's got a reputation, and yet she shows up there, the religious leader's house. She's not worried about the shame that she feels, but she's there to express her love for Christ. And she has a jar of perfume, a very expensive alabaster jar of perfume, and she breaks the glass, and she begins not only to cry and to wipe her tears that are on Jesus' feet with her hair, she, she begins to, to anoint him with this perfume. And people start to remark, and they say, what a waste. And Jesus is like, not quite. Her story is going to be told all over the world. Her, why? Jesus gives a parable, and the entire point of his parable is this. The one who's been forgiven the most is the one who loves the most. You see, if you walk out on people when you need to forgive those people, you may have a theology that says, I'm afraid God's gonna walk out on me if I don't keep my act together. False theology. False theology. Listen, if you're like me, I wish I never had to say I'm sorry. Anybody else? Anybody wish your heart didn't do that thing when you have to own your stuff? Anybody wish when you were going into this moment, like, I mean, how humbling is it to tell at the time, they're older now, but at the time, my six-year-old, like, yeah, daddy got it wrong. That's pretty humbling. How humbling is it when I've said something to our staff team, I go to my office, really just like, Ben, don't, don't think about that guilt. Just get on with your work. And then I'm like, oh, I've got to go back over there. Oh. I'm like, all right, I'll stall first. I'll go use the restroom. Hey, guys, I'm sorry. And as your pastor, I wish I didn't have to apologize to you, but some of you have been around long enough to know that I have had to. I wish I said it right 100% of the time. I do. I wish I got it right 100% of the time. And to be honest, I've never been in the same church on staff as long as I've been in this church. And so Shauna and I, 18 years of marriage, um, no more than three years in any one of those churches. So we never had to have that longevity, which meant there were times where we had to open up and be honest and ask people for their forgiveness and just say, hey, I got it wrong. Let me ask you a question. Who have you apologized to in this community? Who have you apologized to in this community? If the answer is everyone, that's a problem. <laughs> if the answer is no one, that's also a problem. It either means one of three things. You're brand new here, and we're so glad that you're here. It means that you've been pretending with the rest of us, 
Or three, likely for most of you, you just haven't come close enough. You just haven't come close enough. Which is it for you? Peter, in this text, he says, let's love so deeply that we cover a multitude of sins, right? And some of us are like, I'll forgive you once. Or some of you are like, no, Ben, I'm better than that. I give them three strikes. Not just one. They have three strikes with me, and then we are done, right? And when I talk about much forgiveness required in relationships, I'm not talking about toxic relationships. I'm not talking about unhealthy relationships. I'm talking about in the kind of they could be great if you would work through things relationships. That's what I'm talking about. So Peter uses this word multitude, and it's not random. I want to show you why I think he uses the word multitude by allowing you to eavesdrop in on a conversation that Peter and Jesus have one day. Matthew 18, 21 and 22, then Peter came to Jesus and asked, Lord, how many times shall I forgive my brother or sister who sins against me? He's like, up to seven times? Jesus answered, I tell you, not, 70, not seven times, but 77 times. Another translation says the Greek there means 70 times, seven times. You can picture Peter, he's trying to think of a big number that's kind of an exaggeration so that Jesus will go, no, 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 it's more like three or four, not seven, right? He's begun to get wind that this Messiah isn't just coming to dominate people, he's coming to offer forgiveness to people. So he says to Jesus, just how much do we have to give to each other, seven He's hoping Jesus will go, no, 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 not seven, like just three, or if you're super Christian, Peter, four. But instead he does what? No, 77, or seven, 70 times seven. Keep on doing it. What relationship have you shunned and walked away from because it required more forgiveness than you thought they deserved? And let me say this as lovingly and as strongly as I can to you. Do not walk away from this community when you realize we aren't perfect. And the second is equally strong. Do not walk away from this community when we realize that you aren't perfect. Some of you are like, Ben, I didn't walk away when I had that conflict. I just knew they came to the 12 o'clock, so I started coming to 1030. Don't think that's what he means. We're glad you're at 1030. But like, go reconcile, get that extra hour of sleep and show back up at 12. Now, if you just broke up, maybe you stay at 1030, let that guy go to 12, okay? Above all, love each other deeply because love covers over a multitude of sins. Let me help you understand what it means and what it doesn't mean. He does not mean that you and I can atone for each other's sins. The central message of all of Christianity is that there was one who was spotless, sinless, the perfect son of God who offered his life as an atonement, as a payment for our sins. What he does mean is let's forgive offenses. Let's not hold grudges. Some of us think that it's, it's like thrilling to live with an enemy that we can have as like a target in our lives. And I'm like, no way. Let's reject that. Let's move into the kind of community and communal life that God has for us. The second thing he says that you can't do by yourself is to offer hospitality without grumbling. Offer hospitality without grumbling. Peter's saying what the scriptures say over and over again. It matters what you do. It also really matters why you do what you do. And it really matters how you do what you do. All joking aside, have you ever offered hospitality while grumbling and made promises to yourself like we will never let them stay the night again? Like, they are not, like, did you see how they ate? They are not coming back into our house. Again, he's like, do it without grumbling. You guys, hospitality has always been one of the marks of a Christian community. Hospitality has always been one of the marks of a Christian community. And I want to show you just how critical, in the first century that Peter was writing, how critical it was that they offered hospitality. Here's what one commentator says about the reality of hospitality. 
says, hospitality was particularly crucial for the Christian mission in a day when lodging could not be afforded. And hence, the advance of the mission depended on the willingness of believers to provide bed and board for those visiting. Isn't that fascinating? Before I just read this comment to you, if I had asked you, hey, do you know or can you remember or recall how the movement of Christianity spread in the first century? If you were like me, you would say, yes, Ben. They decided after Jesus gave his commission to them that they would leave Jerusalem and they would go to this town and they would go to this town and they go to this place and they go to that place. And then they ended up crossing over the lines of different nations and they'd spread the gospel that way. And I would be like, yes, but most of us wouldn't realize that the, 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 the necessary thing in all of that spreading was hospitality. Isn't that amazing? That hospitality is necessary to fulfill the mission of God for your life and our church and the ultimate kingdom of God for this world. Guys, it's different maybe than the first century. Okay, living in San Francisco still means that some lodging cannot be afforded. But hospitality is still critical to the mission God's given us. Let me explain it in these terms. No one lives out the mission of God before they're welcomed into the family of God at Epic. Don't miss this. It's, it's a link. One has to come before the other. No one in this room will live out our vision that we cast last week if you don't first feel like you belong here, right? So from day one, there were a handful of us, 13 to be exact, that showed up here. No one was welcoming us, although we had some friends here and some were in the room, which is super fun. But we made sure the only way we're going to get this vision and mission carried out is if we welcome people in and then let them know what, that they can belong here, they can be a part of this family and community, and then we live out the mission. And so if we're going to do this well, live out the vision God's given us as a church, hospitality will have to be present always and forever. Will you do this with us? We do this with us. Let me tell you one thing that's happening right now in our church that I love and I hate. I love that we're reaching more and more people here as a church. 2018, per Sunday average, we reached exactly 100 people more than 2017. And that's the net average. That doesn't include all the people that we lost. We lose about 20 to 25% of our congregation like every year. Okay, so that's net growth. That is awesome. What I hate about that is that I don't know all of you. What I hate about that is that I'm not connected to the majority of people who call Epic Church home. Just not. But what I am hell-bent passionate about is this. I can't know everyone, but I'm passionate about making sure that everyone knows someone and can get attached to some community. So here's my request for 100% of you. Will you make it your mission to welcome people into our large community and into one of our small communities? Large community being our Sundays, small communities being the epic groups that you're holding in your hand. Will you make it your mission, because you know it's what you've been called to do and we've been called to do by God himself, to welcome people into our large community and into one of our smaller communities? Will you make that your mission? So love deeply, can't do that by yourself. Offer hospitality. That would be awkward if you tried to do that for yourself. Thirdly, though, he talks to us about our gifts, that our gifts are pointless unless we're doing life together. Can we say it again? Your gifts are absolutely pointless unless we're doing life together. Peter tells us two massive things about our gifts, worth writing down, I think. Here's what he says. Your gifts are not from you, and they are not for you. Your gifts are not from you and they are not for you. Our gifts are not from us and they are not for us. Look at the text in verse 10. Each of you should use whatever gift you have received to serve others. The gift you have received to serve others. The gift you have received to serve others. 
Imagine how it makes God feel when he generously gives us gifts and he watches us take credit for our gifts. You don't have your gift because you're amazing. Is that, that's kind of a blow to my pride. Anybody else's? But I thought it was me. Not only do you not have your gifts for you, uh, uh, from you, they're not from you, you don't have them for you. He says, use whatever gift you have received to serve others. So I said, imagine God seeing us going, I've got a gift, I'm so amazing. Or imagine God seeing us have his gifts and using it to serve ourselves. You don't have your gift so that you will be seen as amazing. God did not give me a teaching gift so that you will think I'm an amazing teacher. He gave me a teaching gift to teach. God did not give me a leadership gift so that you would think I'm an amazing leader. He gave me a leadership gift so that I could lead people towards God's vision and purpose for their lives and for our community and for our city and for our world. What gifts do you have? They aren't from you. They aren't for you. They aren't from you. They aren't for you. Who are they for? God only gave us our gifts so that we would use them to serve others. God only gave us our gifts so that we would use them to serve others. He says that we should steward our gifts in its various forms. When we typically think about stewardship, we typically think that God is the owner of our financial resources and he entrusts us with our financial resources to steward those well. Absolutely, but here Peter says, do the same with your gifts. How do you steward something? You manage it well, you invest it well, and you figure out a way to maximize it. Manage it well, your gifts, so how can I make the most of them? You invest your gifts, you deploy them, and then you maximize those gifts, and all of a sudden, the world begins to go in the direction that God wants it to go. Anyone besides me ever struggle with gift envy? Nobody? You've never seen someone else's gift that you don't have, and you're like, oh my gosh. You guys are so content. Let's move on. Sometimes when I'm having an insecure moment, I see what you guys do so well, and I'm like, wow, I would love to do that. But the reality, too, is that this growth recently, I think, in the last few years of my life, I've reached this place where I'm so content with what God's given me and using that and so content with cheering you on to do what I can't do. Guys, we've done the comparison game long enough. And what does it make God feel when I'm envying someone else's gift or you wishing you had someone else's gift? It shows a lack of gratitude. God is the designer of our world and the designer of what he calls the church. He gave you what he gave you so that we would benefit from it. He gave us what he gave us so that you would benefit from it. That's the whole point. He says it ministered in its various forms. And then Peter, for his spiritual gifts listing, he just combines them into one of two categories, speaking gifts and serving gifts, speaking gifts and serving gifts. If you have a speaking gift, speak as someone using the very words of God. That's how you encourage, that's how you teach, that's how you edify, that's how you exhort. If you have a serving gift, whatever it is that you're doing, do it with the strength that God provides. Why? So that in all things, God will get the glory. That's the whole point. So you've been called to do things that you can't do by yourself. And you don't have to do it by yourself, nor do you have to go form your own community. Do you know that we put an entire environment together for you to step into what we're calling you to do today? We staff for it. We invest heavy dollars into this. We recruit towards it, we pray towards it, and we say to you, all you have to do is show up. Okay, sign up and then show up. That's not that challenging, is it? But then, what if everyone's awkward? What if you're awkward? 
try out a different group week two, and we can keep playing that game, right? There's, there's just so many options for you to get engaged into a small group because after all, you can't do what God's called you to do by yourself. You need community so that you can be loved deeply and love others deeply. You need community so that you can be welcomed in and begin to play that host part where you welcome others in. You need community so that you can use and deploy your gifts and you can receive from the gifts of others. You need community. And community isn't a theory for us here at Epic. It's not like, oh, every church has small groups. That's why we do it. No, we do it because we've seen it transform lives. And I want you to see a couple of lives who've been transformed by stepping into the very thing you're being asked and invited to step into today. Watch the screen. I'm Mark Wiedemann. I'm Sally. And we were married in January of 2016. We are in this small group with very different couples. There's a lot of us that come from very different backgrounds. And I think that because we share the same faith journey together and we have this common end goal, it seems as though we understand each other to the very core of our being. And we realize that we're going through the same struggles together, the same issues, you know, trying to walk this faith journey in the Bay Area. I enjoy uh, just going and celebrating uh, life with these other couples and hearing some of their stories and tidbits and just poking her in the side and saying, see, I told you we're not the only ones going through that. Uh, it's just, it's a nice reminder that we're not alone in this. Everyone's going through the same things. I didn't really believe in small groups before we came to Epic. To be frank, I didn't really want church people all up in my business. And you know, that all changed when I decided to try it out and I realized that being able to be honest with people that were there to accept you as you are and meet you where you are was the only way that I could really be honest or become honest with myself. Um, and that's when real change started to happen. Prior to joining this small group, I had jumped to work one day and was told to pack up my things because the company was going bankrupt and we no longer had jobs. So that was kind of a shock, um, but it also forced me to make a decision on what my next step was. And we didn't realize exactly how much of a toll that would take, um, emotionally, financially, everything. And you know, I relied heavily on Sally, actually 100% on Sally. So she was bearing the brunt of two people. But uh, upon joining this newly married group, um, I got to unload some of this emotion and this turmoil onto some of our now really close friends. And they like gladly shouldered some of the weight. And I know that helped us because it took pressure off of our relationship. We could rely and lean on these new friends that we found. And then uh, getting the, the email that I got the job, uh, that was uh, you know the best time of my life. And um, coming back to the group and celebrating with them and you know getting pats on the back and uh, just hearing how many people were praying for us constantly. To see them light up and be excited for me, that was, uh, that, that made this whole group like really worthwhile. I think during that time for us, it was just so crucial and unbelievably essential that we got to go to groups. Every week we would kind of get lifted up again and we would get reminded every time that, you know, everything was gonna be okay and there were people that were rallying around us that were gonna stand by us no matter what and it meant an incredible amount to us because sometimes you feel like you're in that kind of hole in that tunnel alone and it can get really overwhelming. So they were there to kind of bring us back to light and reality um, and you know, remind us about God's grace and truth uh, for us. 
what's amazing is that can be your reality as well. You know, when we put together a group's booklet and Lindsay kind of leads the way on our team, Ken and Kelly McCord do as well, and then we have tons of coaches and all kinds of, I mean, just so many leaders. And when we set this up and we offer you an entrance into what can be a beautiful reality for your life, it's, and, and you walk away and don't step in, it's almost like I'm a doctor, we're doctors giving you this medicine that really is critical for your life, and, you're, and we're going like, it's free, we'll pay for it for you, we're taking care of everything you need, and you're going like, nah, I'm good. The end of April, some of us are going to have something going on in our lives because we decided to step into this, and others of us are going to be missing out because we didn't. Like, Ben, that sounds really, like, a little bit over the top. Um, ask, ask Mark and Sally. Ask a ton of people, hundreds of us all over the community, if this really works like Jesus said it should work. Today, I want to offer you one of three invitations before we receive communion and begin to respond to what we've heard today. The first one is this. If, um, you know, n- not only did uh, God call us to do this for each other, he stepped in and did it for us in the grandest way possible. Think about those three things from the perspective of Jesus as our savior. For starters, did he love us deeply in a way that covered our sins and atoned for us? Think about his hospitality. Did he welcome us in at great cost to himself? And some of you are like, yeah, but he probably did it well. I'm grumbling. He didn't. He did it. He loved himself and gave himself. And thirdly, did Jesus use the gift of his life to serve all of us? Each person in our family has a word that we're focused on this year, and one of my kids, their word is selflessness. And the verse they've been learning is Mark 10, 45, which says, for even the Son of Man did not come to be served, but to serve and to give his life as a ransom for many. If you've never stepped into the reality that you can know Jesus, be in a relationship with him, and follow him, I wanna invite you to that today. In fact, we've created some faith resource bundles you can take on the way out. Just bring your card, let us know. Like, I wanna give my life to Jesus. Second thing is for those of you in one of these three categories, you're exploring faith, but you're not sure, you're you're new to faith, or you're coming back to faith, we're creating an exclusive opportunity on Tuesday nights, beginning February 3rd, for you to come into what we call the Alpha Course. It's based out of London, and um, what happens on those nights, we meet in this room, um, people are already starting to sign up, which is super fun, Um, we have dinner together, we watch a talk around some faith issue. How can I have faith? How many gods are there? You know, what's my purpose? How do I pray? Those kinds of questions. And then we just sit around small tables and talk about what we've learned and what we think. And you're really allowed to say anything in that setting. Or you are, I'm not. But you can say anything that you want to. But if you're in that category, I'd love for you to sign up for our Alpha Group today. Shauna and I, along with a great team of leaders, will be leading that every Tuesday night. And uh, if you know people in those categories, invite them to come along. I think God's going to do something pretty special. And then for the rest of you, we've created something for you to step into. And I want to urge you before, not necessarily you leave today, though you can, but before you go to bed tonight, why don't you or your friend or roommate or spouse or family, why don't you find one of these that works for you? Why don't you think of it as a gift to your future self? We talk all the time when we hit community here as Epic Church, we talk about this idea that we get to choose front-end pain or back-end pain. Back-end pain is you not getting into community, something happening in your life like what happened in Mark's life, and you having no one to lean on. That's the worst kind of pain. Front-end pain is you push through the vulnerability, you push through the awkwardness, you push through the frustration about no parking around the small group that you chose, all of that, but you go anyway. And then two weeks in, four weeks in, seven weeks in, you thank yourself, and you realize now you have people to do life and faith with. I encourage you towards that today. 
told you a moment ago, today's a communion day for us, and here's what it means. For those of us who belong to Jesus, have our faith established in him, we've been invited to receive an ordinance that Jesus instituted. Before he went to the cross, he was at a Passover meal with his disciples, and he transformed the meaning of Passover. And he said, from now on, what I want you to do is, as you remember me, take this bread, as I, as I break it, know that this is my body, which is broken for you, which is going to happen on the cross. And then he poured them the cup, and as they drank the cup, he said, this is my blood that's poured out for the forgiveness of sin. After I pray, you'll be invited to pray, to confess sin. The scriptures say we should examine ourselves before we come to the table, so you have time to do that. You can stand and sing, you can sit, you can kneel, whatever it is that seems to be the appropriate response as you and I reflect on all that Christ has done for us. We have three stations, one to my right, one up here to my left, and then one about halfway down. So would you pray with me as our team comes to lead? God, thank you so much that you love us. Thank you so much that you wired us for relationship. God, we know this, even the people who've studied um, how the brains of babies work, that if they don't have that attachment, they can't flourish, they can't thrive, and God, the same is true for those of us who are adults. Without being attached and connected to others, we will miss out on so much of what you have for us. So God, would you build courage in this moment? God, would you give wisdom as people consider what group they're going to be in this year? And Jesus, as we come to the table that you've invited us to, may we be reminded that you offered everything for us, your very life, to cleanse us from sin, to bring us into your family and then to, get, to give us a family amongst each other so that in your economy, we could be in this room brothers and sisters. God, may we be brothers and sisters, young and old, rich and poor, men and women who love you and love each other and we keep loving even when it gets costly to love. God, make this a place where we keep short accounts with each other because we want peace and reconciliation. God, may this be a place where we offer hospitality to each other gladly. God, may this be a place where we all realize we have a few gifts and you've given them to us so that we could serve each other with them. God, may we see you do more in connecting us deeply in this season of our church than we ever have before. God, there's no excuse. Help us to step in. In Jesus' name, amen.